0: I'm Alicia Michaelis at Kurtz, and welcome to Real Talk, a place where healthcare professionals share stories about their more human experiences working in medicine. Today, we'll hear from our second first year medical student, or M1, David. In our last episode, our first medical student, Apa, started this conversation about the gunners, a cultural norm in medical school that is a natural consequence of our culture in healthcare. This culture that accepts nothing less than perfection, that is filled with pressure and competition and that starts even before we ever get into med school and certainly becomes repeatedly cemented into us throughout our training. But while this experience is pervasive and is reflected in David's story too, what we'll hear from David is something I think a lot about as an attending as well. That none of this competition, perfection-driven, pressure-filled insanity none of this is what actually brought us here. It's not the why, the reason we sought this job to begin with. Instead, that's normally something else. And sure, it may include an interest in science or human physiology or anatomy. But most people who want to become a doctor are driven by a deep desire to serve others, to heal, to help. And in fact, as time goes on, there's a trend I've noticed where this why for so many of our current trainees and earlier career doctors is even more bluntly social and anthropological in nature. We know there are vast disparities in our healthcare system. It's unfair and unequal for people of color, the poor, immigrants or those who don't speak English, uh, people who use drugs, and other groups too. And while medicine has traditionally been a place where this discrimination runs deep but is unspoken or at least largely unaddressed, now you have this newer generation who has come here with a new why. They specifically went to med school in part to fix it, to change the way healthcare is delivered, to take on these disparities and demand better preparation and tools to care for these historically underserved populations, They're here to inspire us all to do better. This is David's story.
1: When I first entered medical school, I didn't really know what to expect. From the beginning, I guess I hoped to feel like I was being trained to be a doctor. Big surprise, right? But I mean, more like a healer to talk to patients, listen to, and address their concerns. Essentially, to learn what it looks like to treat, handhold or bandage, and just apply myself in doing my best to improve health in the context of social determinants or psychosocial and genetic factors, all of which may be complicating a patient's situation. Having made medicine out to be this patient-centered, altruistic care for all, I was surprised to find that book education really leaves much to be desired in terms of representation. First year medical students have little to no role on the medical team, and our exposure to patients in healthcare is often limited to books and PowerPoints. Throughout the year, I often felt distant from all the reasons I had held on to when I first entered medicine. My path to medical school was a circuitous one. I initially had no intention of going into medicine or even studying science at all. Having been raised in a family of business people, I'd applied to undergrad as an intended business major, before eventually getting degrees in economics and biology. I'd spent my summer working in sales, marketing and management, but somewhere along the way, I felt like a cog in a wheel. Like I lacked purpose in a field I defaulted to because my family was involved in it. A field broad enough to where I could figure out what I wanted to make of it later in life. But I guess I'd hoped to find direction now And I couldn't disregard that bitter, empty feeling that my business experiences had left with me. For years, I'd watched my grandma Rita, a most jubilant and self-effacing woman who had spent her life helping others. A true person for others, as I see it. If not caring for each of the nine kids she birthed over nine years, she'd be spending her time volunteering. I'd grown up experiencing her compassion as she loaded her gray-blue Toyota Corolla almost every morning with food donations from local restaurants and supermarkets, and then delivered them to homeless shelters, churches, elderly homes, basically wherever she could find. And she'd spend all day listening and laughing to whoever would talk. My grandma Rita showed me a reality in which the world was her kin. She restored order to our world by feeding the hungry and just listening to whoever had something to say. I sought to follow in my grandma Rita's example in pursuing a field where I might bring her compassion and service into the workplace. And I came upon medicine. I wanted to use my talents to help other people, not just maximize profits. But a decision to pursue medicine is not an easy one to make. I remember the doubt of hearing families say, we don't really do that. And it's okay not to like your job because I mean, who really likes their job anyway? Oh, and don't get me started on the treason of having to go $300,000 in debt. Or how I'm giving up the freedom of the best years of my life to go through training only to start a job in my 30s. As neither of my parents had graduated from a four-year university, a career in medicine was foreign to me. Nobody close to me was familiar with the process or could guide my decision. But after graduating college, I found a job as a medical scribe to get a better idea of what medicine looks like. And as I was quickly sold, inspired by the conviction and dedication of doctors around me, I knew I wanted medicine. And I knew I wanted it because it was my own agency that brought me to medicine. I knew I was making this decision for me and not to satisfy the pressure of friends or family. So now that I've finished my first year of medical school, looking back, I was given somewhat of a reality check. Having been an economics major I'd been fortunate enough to have avoided much of the toxic pre-medical culture of competition and attributing self-worth to your grades. Or I guess more aptly, it's a culture based on getting higher grades than the next person. But given that most medical schools have pass-fail classes, I'd imagined collaboration would come easy. Yet at the start of medical school, I was quickly reminded what competition looked like. I remember after the first exam, much of our class was de-stressing together at our classmates' house when our exam scores were released online. And suddenly, in every corner of the house, I'd heard the question, how'd you do on the test? How'd you do on the test? Followed by, oh really, I got a whatever score. And in my attempt to avoid this culture, I determined that I would not share my scores and wouldn't let my classmates define me by them. So when the inevitable, how'd you do on the test question found its way to me, I resisted and said, I'm sorry, I don't share my grades. But this, in fact, backfired, because when nobody could identify the student who'd scored the highest in the class, it was assigned to me by default. And the next day at school, I was swarmed with questions of, how do you study, bro? Dude, you're a genius. What's your secret? And this culture was inescapable. Another reality check was how the first and likely second years of medical education placed little to no effort to discuss social determinants of health racial disparities in medicine, or the treatment of underrepresented minorities. It's like, we're students first, but just not student doctors, when the emphasis remains on high-yield concepts for the Step 1 exam, and not for how to be an effective doctor or healer. I mean, students can shadow doctors and gain clinical experience on their own if they choose to, but the curriculum seemingly only aims to reinforce book knowledge. I remember the surprise I felt in reading a study in the Proceedings of the National Academies of Science about how 40% of first- and second-year medical students reported thinking that African-Americans have thicker skin than white people and how simulations showed a likelihood of prescribing decreased pain medications for Black patients. But no wonder we still see racial disparities in healthcare when our first two years of medical school don't aim to address the implicit biases we might come in with. We're taught to ask guided questions to identify diagnoses, but we aren't taught to address how one's race, sexual orientation, or living conditions can affect health status. Little is done to encourage involvement or address determinants of health when it's not testable on step one. The onus is placed on each student to recognize and address their biases in their own time, which, if left unaddressed, can perpetuate problematic thinking and further establish these racial disparities as they find their way into one's future practice. But all in all, while medical school wasn't what I made it out to be at first, I've been fortunate enough to be surrounded by so many students who hold themselves accountable to serving their community and seeking to engage in experiences that challenge them to better advocate for patients. Looking back on my first year, I've found how important it is to latch on to those reasons that brought you into medicine. And while my first year of medical school wasn't entirely what I'd hoped or expected, I have such a special opportunity to offer care as a doctor, and I look forward to continuing to grow in my medical education.
0: David's story raises a challenge for anybody working with students and trainees, and frankly, for any of us who trained without something like this. But it calls for an intentional restructuring of our curriculum, to include and to focus on the social determinants of health that it turns out are equally, if not more important in people's long-term physical wellness than a lot of the random microbiome that we were forced to memorize and then, if you're like me, promptly forgot. We must take a beat and consider the actual culture that we're creating in our med schools. What behaviors are we rewarding and celebrating? What lessons require in-person attendance instead of online lecture review? How are we ensuring things like the ability to identify rashes on patients with darker skin or how to recognize our implicit bias so we can own them and check ourselves to not unintentionally offer subpar care to certain populations? Bringing medicine around from its thorny past to a place where we refocus on what brought us here is not going to be an easy process, and it must be addressed at every level in our field yes in hospitals and with our administrations but also with trainees and our students so if you're in a position to demand this kind of change or better yet to lead this kind of change then what's stopping you and if you're not what can you do to encourage this more human-centered approach in your own practice or with your own group thank you to david for sharing his story with us to the team at Vituity for their support of this podcast, to Marco Gonzalez, our sound engineer, and of course, to all of you for listening. I'm Alicia, and this is Real Talk. Want to connect with the Real Talk podcast or record your story with us? Head to www.vituity.com forward slash RealTalk for more information. Or email us at realtalk at v-i-t-u-i-t-y dot com.